Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, What It Will Cost You. It's based upon the lectionary readings for September 8, 2019. This week, I listened to an on-being podcast featuring Amakai Lau Lavi, a rabbi and innovative spiritual leader in New York City. In the course of his discussion with on-being host Krista Tippett, he shared a Talmudic parable that I think captures the heart of this week's difficult gospel reading. A large multi-cabined ship sets sail across the ocean. A passenger whose cabin is on the lowest level of the ship decides to dig a hole in the floor of his cabin. Sure enough, the ship begins to sink. When the other passengers realize what's happening, they rush to the man's cabin. What are you doing? They yell. The man looks up from the hole and says, It's my cabin. I paid for it. And down goes the ship. The parable is, of course, hyperbolic, but it names the same uncomfortable truth Jesus names in our reading from Luke's Gospel. When it comes to the life of faith, we want to have our cake and eat it too, but we can't. We want to embrace a Christianity that doesn't involve costly choices. We want to drift along as we always have. We want to experience Jesus the healer, Jesus the savior, Jesus the friend, but not so much Jesus the radical countercultural prophet who barges into our private cabins and asks the impotent, unbearable question, what are you doing? None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions, Jesus tells a large crowd in our reading. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If those two warnings aren't dire enough, he issues a third, a real zinger. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. You have to hand it to Jesus. He believes in truth in advertising. He doesn't sugarcoat his message in order to sell it. He doesn't cut corners, and he doesn't soften the blow. He tells it like it is. And how is it? It's like this. If I want to follow Jesus, I have to relinquish once and for all the fantasy that it's my cabin, I paid for it. There is no my cabin. I'm on God's ship now, and everything I do, every choice I make, every tribalism I cherish, every idol I worship, every possession I hoard, affects the entire vessel. There is no us or them on the ship of Christian discipleship. There is only we a holy, God-ordained we, more inclusive, enormous, consequential, and fragile than I can possibly wrap my head around. If I become a disciple, I am responsible for that we, whether I want to be or not. Jesus' claim on my life, in other words, is radical and absolute. It relativizes every other claim. Every other claim. Period. To say this teaching is hard is a laughable understatement. Jesus knows it's hard, so he advises his listeners to stop and count the costs before they sign up to be his followers. A careful builder, he says, never breaks ground without taking a good, hard look at her budget. A wise general doesn't declare war unless he's sure his troops are equipped and battle-ready. The life of faith should be no different. Discipleship is not a weekend hobby or a vacation destination. It is a full soul, full body, full mind endeavor that requires renunciation and surrender 
and the reordering of our identities, our priorities, and our proclivities. It requires hating what is too narrow, too exclusive, and too insular, and learning instead to love what is broad, inclusive, and boundless. I'll be honest, this gospel lesson leaves me reeling. I can't honestly say that I've counted the cost and found it reasonable or desirable. All I can say is that I'm turning Jesus' call over and over in my mind, considering it from all angles. Here are some of those angles. What do I consider mine? What do I insist on owning, possessing, or claiming as my own, as if ownership is my exclusive, inviolable right? Is it money? Time? My suburban, middle-class lifestyle? My political or religious beliefs? My closest relationships? My independence? What am I possessive about? What do I cling to that is not God? More importantly, as my possessiveness encounters Jesus' challenging call to discipleship, can I muster the courage to change, to live non-possessively, to love and not smother, steward and not exploit, appreciate and not hoard? Who is my we? To whom and for whom am I responsible? How narrow or how wide is the circle that encompasses my people, the people I will love, welcome, serve, and make sacrifices for? Can I embrace a we that is broader and riskier than any I've embraced thus far? A we that transcends race, ethnicity, religion, sexuality, and all other socially constructed categories? How aware am I, on a daily basis, that the ship, the whole ship, not just my corner of it, has an irrefutable claim on my life. What am I willing to hate? What customs, beliefs, or traditions have I inherited that I need to renounce in order to follow Jesus? What baggage must I abandon? What ties must I loosen? What relationships must I subordinate? Jesus spoke his hard words about hating one's family in a cultural context where the extended family was the source of a person's security and stability. Jewish families in first-century Palestine were self-sustaining economic units. No one in their right mind would leave such a unit behind in order to follow a homeless, controversial preacher into some uncertain future. Can I, living in 21st-century America, recapture any vestige of the risk my first elders in the faith took in choosing Jesus? What sources of modern-day security and stability do I trust more than I trust God? What version of Christianity am I selling? Like many of you reading this essay, I hold a leadership position within the Church. The Church which is, of necessity, a human institution, even as it is also the body of Christ. Whether we like it or not, those of us invested in the institution must care about its survival. We have to care about numbers. We have to care about attracting newcomers. We have to care about the bottom line. But how do these concerns jibe with the hard sell Jesus insists on in this week's lectionary? How do we package discipleship in a culture that insists, it's my cabin, I paid for it? What do we lose every time we trade the cross in for a low-cost, low-risk, you-can-have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too version of Christianity? I suppose we lose the ship. Or, to return to Jesus' own metaphor, we lose the opportunity to invest in a tower worth building a holy community worth living and dying for. 
a resurrection worth the weight and pain of the crosses Christ will gladly and graciously help us bear, if we'll let him. For books this week, Dan reviews Who Killed My Father by Edward Lewis. There's no question mark at the end of his book title, because for Edward Lewis, there's no question who killed his father. Jacques Chirac did when he reduced the number of medications that would be covered by the state. Nicolas Sarkozy did when he campaigned against a deadbeat assisté as a French society who wanted government handouts, and when he incentivized a return to employment for these bums. François Hollande did when he passed legislation that made it easier to fire employees. And Emmanuel Macron did when he reduced taxes for the rich and humiliated people like Lewis's father as too lazy to work. Edouard Lewis is not, 30, is not yet 30 years old, but he's already a literary phenomenon in France and an outspoken advocate for the sort of working-class family that he grew up in. His best-selling autobiographical novel, The End of Eddie, was published when he was only 22 and has been translated into 20 languages. This nonfiction memoir recounts the violence, alcoholism, homophobia, and poverty of families like his, where his father was a factory worker in a gray, ugly town in northern France. The story begins near the end of his father's life, when he's suffering the consequences of a life of poverty and a back injury at work. He can barely walk. He needs a ventilator to breathe. He can't drive or bathe himself. He's barely 50, writes Lewis, and he belongs to the category of humans whom politics has doomed to an early death. In May of 2017, Lewis published an op-ed in the New York Times entitled Why My Father Votes for Le Pen, which is to say that this incendiary little book explores our contemptuous social perceptions of the poor and the consequent populist rage like the yellow vest in France, Brexit in England, and the Occupy protests in the United States. For those who have everything, writes Lewis, politics is almost always inconsequential, apart from aggravations and perhaps disgust. It never ruins their digestion or breaks their backs. But for poor families like his, you understand that politics is a question of life or death. For movies this week, Dan reviews Out of Many, One. Since the 9-11 terrorist attacks, when our visa system changed to Trump's obsession with building a wall on our border, for 20 years now, immigration has become a deeply maligned and controversial subject in the United States. To address this changed political climate, in 2017, the New York Historical Society started its Citizenship Project to help immigrants with green cards prepare for the U.S. Citizen and Immigration Services naturalization exam. The test isn't multiple choice, by the way. Rather, a USCIS officer asks the applicant 10 questions from a list of 100. The applicant must answer at least six of them correctly. This 34-minute Netflix documentary is an unabashedly inspirational and patriotic look at a group of immigrants as they prepare for the test with help from the NYHS program. They do classroom study, field trips, and workshops. America's history is presented with its unsavory aspects, too, like slavery and the civil rights movement. There are forms and interviews. The film features a half dozen or so immigrants who tell their own stories about how and why they came to America. And at the end, Ruth Bader Ginsburg administers to them their oath of citizenship. Bravo. And lastly, for poems this week, Gift by Cezla Miloš. 
A day so happy. Fog lifted early. I worked in the garden. Hummingbirds were stopping over the honeysuckle flowers. There was no thing on earth I wanted to possess. I knew no one worth my envying him. Whatever evil I had suffered, I forgot. To think that once I was the same man did not embarrass me. In my body I felt no pain. When straightening up, I saw blue sea and sails. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for September 8th, 2019.